Hi, I'm Carrie, a stroke survivor and BIND member. And I'm Kezia, stroke survivor as well and my BIND member. And today we are going to be introducing Karen Stull, who is a speech language pathologist and a board of director of BIND. She's has her experience in as a speech therapist for brain injury survivors and also for spinal cord survivors. So welcome so much. Come Karen. Thank you guys for having me today. I'm excited to be here. Welcome to Bindways, the official podcast of the Brain Injury Network of Dallas. I'm Brian White, Bind's Executive Director. On each episode, we'll be providing insight into the brain injury community. We'll be talking to members and professionals regarding their stories and the important role of Binds Clubhouse. We work as a team to inspire hope, community, and a sense of purpose to survivors, caregivers, and the public. Thank you for tuning in to Bind Waves. Let's get on with the show. So um, right now that you're with us here, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career and how you even became a speech language pathologist? Okay, well that's a that's a lot. So yes. I'll try to I'll try to be brief. Um, so I have been a speech and language pathologist. It will be 17 years this May, which oh, is wow. really hard for me to believe that I'm that old to have that much experience. <laughs> um, but I guess to answer your question about why I became a speech therapist, I never thought I was going to be a speech therapist. My mom was a speech and language pathologist, so I always knew about that as a career option. Um, so when I was in college, I was struggling a little bit with what I wanted to do, and I put my sights on audiology. So audiology and speech and language pathology, it's the same um, bachelor's degree. And my uh, senior year of college, as I was applying to audiology programs, my dad was diagnosed with a laryngeal cancer. So that left one of his vocal cords paralyzed and also left him with a pretty significant dysphagia, which is problem swallowing. So that kind of changed the course of my career path and I became very interested in swallowing disorders and voice disorders and that um, steered my ship in a different direction towards speech and language pathology. Oh wow, I'm going to be learning a lot about you today. This is our first time meeting in person and I'm like she's a board of director and I'm like well I don't really know much about her either so I'm going to be learning all about her too. Ask away, yeah. So now I'm curious um what does what what do you do as an audiologist? Well, I am not. No, I know you're not, but I know that so you said that. So, what does like, an audiologist yeah, do? I've never heard of that. So, an audiologist is a medical professional who um, their main focus is on hearing. Oh. Like perhaps maybe um, helping a patient who has a cochlear implant getting that calibrated correctly, and that is probably not the right term to use. I'm not an audiologist. And then teaching them um, how to then apply what they're hearing to what the sound is. Okay. So sometimes audiologists will work in that capacity. They'll also work with helping people with hearing aids and just different disorders of the ear. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Like I said, I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, but So I know like you're a Baylor Scott & White, and you're not... You used to work with brain injury survivors, but now you're working with spinal cord. So that just got us curious. Mm -hmm. So what's kind of, is it similar? Like the speech therapy problems or speech problems between brain injury and spinal cord, or is it just totally different? Um, Well, 
It's a, I think I'm going to answer that in two different okay. ways, if that's okay. So yes. um, I work with patients who have spinal cord injuries with a co-occurring brain injury. Okay. So a lot of what a person with a spinal cord injury needs to be able to do if they are not able to move their arms is to be able to direct their care. So can they instruct a caregiver on, can they remember the steps to instruct a caregiver on how to perform an in, intermittent catheterization if they're not able to physically do that on their own? That's a way to avoid their bladder. Or do they need help to remember the steps to do a bowel program because their body may not be able to have um, bowel movements on their own anymore? Um, that type of thing. Also okay. different abilities to just direct their care for other other things. Um, a lot of swallowing issues in that population, especially if the injury is in their neck. And sometimes voice disorders as well, if they can't generate enough power because perhaps the um, muscles that we use for breathing are impacted from their spinal cord injury. So some of it's very different, but some of it's very much the same, just maybe more um, applicable than sitting down to do like a worksheet like you might have done with uh -huh. your speech therapist in acute care or inpatient rehab. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because we um, have had various speech uh, therapists come in and talk about speech therapy. Mm -hmm. And I think that as brain injury survivors and the, um, the people that we most currently that I've experienced or met here at BIND, a lot of it is aphasia and um, our difficulty communicating. So I think it's really cool to be hearing about like swallowing and like different issues, especially for spinal cord um, survivors. Can I just say, yeah, I don't want to hear about the swallowing. I had to do thickened liquids. So. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's no fun. No, so I understand about no the swallowing. Fun. It's no fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm so sorry. too. No, no, but you're right. I think like, I think at some point, maybe all of us, or the majority, or ma many, many of us had to do that stuck in the hospital. Yeah. But and it's not something that the speech therapists enjoy either. We don't enjoy telling someone, sorry, you have to be on this liquid that looks like yeah you know jello no, and, and I, I i do appreciate yeah. that all the speech therapists that i had that made me at it that they promised me that they had tried all of them oh yes so yeah. it makes you feel better to know that they actually tasted it but i quit drinking coffee it was so bad i was like mm -mm, i'll just drink water that's fair <laughs> that's interesting yeah. interesting did you really have to taste everything she just said it so i'm mm -hmm. like what in graduate school that was what our professors where i attended school had us do they said if you're going to be prescribing this for your patients you need to know what what you're asking them to do so it was our where I went to school it was required mm -hmm. wow interesting yeah. oh my gosh wait <laughs> yeah. back to what we were talking about Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I, know, I, apologize. I got you I'm like in my head I'm like wow well that's good good that you were you had to do that to be yeah. feeling like you understand what mm -hmm. we are going through as brain injury survivors um but I did like how you connected uh, spinal cord injury and if it happened like on your neck and like on your brain, because a lot of them, and this is just a question too, mm -hmm. um, just through personal experience or meeting people. Is it like something that you can be diagnosed with or can someone literally tell you because you've had a spinal cord injury, you can also include that into the brain injury and are they told? They're, so a spinal cord injury would be a separate injury from the brain injury. Okay. So my patients will have an injury like a, a an assault to their brain where they hit their head hard enough to cause damage to their brain, but they also may have been in an accident severe enough where 
they had injury to the spinal cord, so the nerves within the spinal cord were damaged. Does that better answer your question? Um, yeah, yes, no, but I guess, so can you have a spinal cord injury without having a brain injury? Yes, I think that's kind of the, what we were wondering, Yes, too. you can have a spinal cord injury without a brain injury. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess because I was just confused as to, like, the communication between your brain and your spinal cord that is damaging a certain, obviously, like, physical, like, movement, but also, like, anything, does that equal to being a brain injury but you're right i think that made it a lot more clear so thank you so much oh you're welcome probably didn't do a very good job of <laughs> explaining it to begin with so my apologies yeah no it's, it's good well i'm saying that the next thing we have on here is one that we talked about we're going to ask so what are some of the other things that you know a speech therapist has to work on or work with and like i have so swallowing down because mm-hmm. i know that's a big issue. could you maybe i guess even though i said i don't want to talk about it explain for our listeners why brain injury and or spinal cord survivors have the swallowing issue and why that's such a problem. Okay, so it could be dysphagia or problem swallowing could be a di- uh, could be caused by a multitude of different reasons, right? So um, for someone that has a spinal cord injury, I'm going to use that to okay. start off with, many of my patients who have had an injury um, to their spinal cord also need surgery where... Mm-hmm. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> where um, as surgery is performed, where an incision is made on the anterior neck, the trachea is moved out of the way, and then some of the other muscles that we use for swallowing are also moved out of the way to make a clear path for the surgeon to stabilize the anterior neck. Well, when we do that, there can be, or not we, I'm a speech therapist, I'm not going to be doing surgery, but when the surgery occurs, there can be, um, you can pull some of the nerves that we use for swallowing, and you can also clamp down on the muscles that we use for swallowing, so that can um, decrease the blood flow to that area, and then there can be swelling afterwards, and just dysmotility, or just uh, the movement of the muscles just isn't very smooth, and the swelling can prevent full range of motion. So when that occurs with a patient with a spinal cord injury, it prohibits the muscles from doing their correct job, and then food and fluid can get into the airway. And then if that occurs, we can develop a pneumonia over time, which can, in some cases, be fatal. Uh-huh. Um, but it can also prolong hospitalization, and you know, pneumonia just really makes you feel really bad. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So you had mentioned you were going to start off with uh, spinal cord, and then how does that affect for brain injury survivors? Sure. So for someone with a brain injury, it could be that perhaps you had an injury to your brain in the area that we actually initiate a swallow. So perhaps maybe the brain stem, which does a lot with um, swallowing and also initiation of movement too. Um you could also have an issue somewhere on the motor strip where you have trouble with the muscles for swallowing, or perhaps it's an issue with initiation. So um, at the point in time when you're having trouble swallowing, are you having a hard time with detecting that something is in your throat that you need to swallow, or could it be a coordination issue? So are you actually coordinating the muscles in a timely manner to swallow in a way that protects you? I'm sitting here listening, and I'm trying to think back, like, what was mine? And I don't really remember, but I do know, and I hope I say this word right, that I still on occasion aspirate, which to me just means it went down the wrong pipe, and that's what we always say. But because as a, and I guess that's what it is in your brain, when you've had a brain injury, mine was on the right side. So somewhere in there, it affected where I, yeah, I was not swallowing properly, and so I was 
on thickened liquids mm-hmm. and pureed foods. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's no, terrible. I know it is. I tell everyone I made the mistake one time. I, you know, you're trying to be different, and I ordered a pureed ham and cheese sandwich. Oh. I don't know what I was thinking, mm. but I did not eat it. I don't blame you. It does <laughs> not sound like that. Man, that's very good. Yeah. So, and I think I only had to do my swallow test twice before I passed that's to good. get back on that's really regular good. foods. But yeah. I do. I know I still aspirate sometimes, and I'll be at the dinner table and. My parents start freaking out, and they're like, Carrie, put your hands over your head. Oh, hi, Mom. Have you met me? My left arm doesn't raise over my head. And I just go, just, I'm just like, you know, give me a minute. It'll pass. It'll pass, you know. Well, I will say that most adults aspirate at some point during the day, regardless of brain injury or spinal cord injury. It's a, just a normal part of being a human. Um, our esophagus is right next to our airway, so it's design in my opinion I didn't design the body but it does lead us for um open for aspiration to occur even if there's no problem with swallowing yeah I actually while you were talking uh Carrie I was like thinking I was like wait that was my question um so one of the things that I was wondering about is like we always talk about like the side of the brain that we ended up damaging you know like um Carrie said the right side mine was on the left side so like what really affects like um uh like the the function of like swallowing correctly what is or what what would affect there it's um it's that's a very difficult question yeah. to answer because the area that we use to swallow is kind of all over the brain all over okay. so that yeah. that's how i guess how i would answer that question yeah. so you can have a left hemisphere stroke or a right hemisphere stroke and have trouble with swallowing depending on where exactly, exactly. it was yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, like I said, learning every single day, especially on Thursdays because the podcast is on Thursdays. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I think that like we were talking about, like and Carrie mentioned it a couple of times too, um, like it's really hard to be swallowing and like to be following instructions. Of course. Uh, like from people when you're not at that point yet. Um, so before moving on, I do want to recommend people that while you're listening to us, make sure to like us on your all forms of platforms, whether it be Spotify or YouTube, whatever. Make sure to like us and tell other people about us. Um, make sure to like and subscribe and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> do it. <laughs> OK, so back to what we were talking about. Um, so how do you communicate with others? And especially if like they're in the hospital and the really hard accepting moment, how how do you engage other um, survivors to listen to you, you know, and follow the instructions and do the best that they can? Well, I mean, in my opinion, this is Karen's opinion. Karen's um, opinion, yes. Karen's opinion. That's what we're <laughs> so, looking for. Um, I think you have to meet the person where they are. You know, right. you have to realize that what they're going through is very difficult for them. And their goals may not be the same goals that my goals are. So I want to make sure that my goals match what my patient's goals are. Because if they don't match, it's going to be, we're going to be competing against one another, not working together as a unit. I think education is important. If I'm explaining to my patient, this is, this is where things are now. This is what you need now. And this is how we're going to get to your goal. That typically helps the situation more so than if I go in and say this is what you have to do right because it's ultimately your choice as a patient on what you do I'm just going to give you the tools to help you give make make it to your goals yeah does that make sense it does make sense and I think I'm trying to think back I think for me basically what 
made sense to me was they told me, you can choke to death if you don't do what we're telling you to do. If you get too much of something down mm-hmm. the wrong pipe, then you can literally choke to death, and that's not what we want you to do. So, Yeah. Yeah. And I think that also um, you had mentioned, too, about speech uh, pathologists. You do a lot of different things. I think uh, we had also talked to other speech pathologists um, how, like, how to manage, like, cognitively, like, the issues that are more cognitive issues and how to encourage them as well um, to be doing these. And I think that way you mentioned, like, aligning the goals, you know, not mm-hmm. not the doctor's goal, not the speech therapist doctor's goal. It's our goals, like, as right. survivors and, like, what we do. Um, and do you also, this is just, like, I think a, you do this (laughs) but um when you have patients do you also talk to like their caregivers their family or yes so um first you do have to have you know if the patient is their own decision maker you do need to get the permission to talk to their spouse or caregiver their their moms or dads um whomever that might be but yes i do engage them in therapy sessions if the patient's agreeable to that because the injury is not only affecting the patient but it also affects the family members and the family dynamics. So, and sometimes if my patient's having a hard time remembering something, they may convey information that may not be correct. So I, you know, I want to make sure that the family member also feels comfortable with any of the information or education that's provided. That's kind of what you mentioned in the beginning, talking about more of the cognitive side of Mm -hmm. speech therapy, especially being spinal cord survivors, they, and possibly brain injured, they have less lack of mobility with their arms to be able to because i know a lot of the things we've heard you know when we're talking about aphasia it's like they encourage them to use their hands and mm-hmm. to point and to do the you know i want a mm-hmm. glass of water so i'm going to act like i'm drinking you know mm-hmm. well so that's a totally different way about going around speech therapy i guess with right kind of issue so for spinal cord injury in in texas there are really only two rehabs that can manage those patients and that's Baylor Downtown, Baylor Scott and White Institute for Rehab in Dallas, and then um, Tier Memorial in Houston. We're the only two model system spinal cord injury hospitals in Texas. So that being said, um, what I do is a little unique as a speech therapist because of the amount of hospitals that are in the area that can provide those services. Does that yeah, kind of that's answer that's interesting. So it's not something that everyone, um, that every speech therapist would do. Right. I know when I started. It's very unique. It is. It's it, interesting, though. It is interesting. And it's, it took a lot of outside learning. So, I bet. Yeah. So I guess one of the things, too, um, so how did you hear about BIND? I mean, we're glad sure. that you did. But. Sure. So when I first moved to Texas, that was about 17 years ago. I don't believe BIND was no. yet started. Um, but I, through, you know, the medical industry, we'll call it that, um, (laughs) all the therapists know each other. We all talk, we all know someone that knows someone. Uh Um, and then I met Allison Jordan through work and that's, um, but I had also met Valerie at one point in time through the Baylor system. So I knew about bind and then got to know more about bind, um, through my friend Allison. Okay. We miss Allison. Yeah, Aww. I do too. For our listeners that don't know, Allison is a previous board member, and she has moved to Florida. Yes, she's yeah, in Tallahassee. So. Mm-hmm. But she is a big supporter of ours, so mm-hmm. we do miss you. If you're listening, Allison, we love you and we miss you. Sorry. <laughs> I, I hope she is listening. <laughs> that would be so fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, and how do you like being a board of director, and how is that? 
How's that going? Well, I'm so, you know, I've been on the board of directors for about six months. So I'm still kind of learning my role and where, where I can be the most helpful because, um, you know, it's, it's a new role for me and I want to be helpful. And sometimes I'm not sure if what I'm doing is or not. (laughs) Well, I definitely agree. I mean, I definitely, um, appreciate, you know, as a member of mine, like the different perspective that you are having as a brain injury and spinal cord, it's like, something that I don't learn about a lot about. I mean, in all honesty, brain injury overall, like I'm everyday learning. So definitely appreciate your perspective. It's, it's really interesting. Thank you. And I, I guess I would just ask, um, it doesn't have to be necessarily just brain injury, but spinal cord. So what is like that one thing that you think that you would like everyone that has nothing that they know nothing about, brain injury survivors, that would be important for them to understand and know? Like, Ooh, that's a tough question, Carrie. I know. (laughs) I guess not to assume that someone can't do something. Because many times what I notice is people who aren't medical, when they hear brain injury or spinal cord injury, they assume someone can't do something. Right. And they overhelp where maybe it's not needed. So I guess the one thing I would say is don't assume that someone can't do something and allow someone to try. Yeah, I think that's very good advice. So, well, Karen, we want to thank you so much for joining us today, and we learned something new, and that's always great. So also, we're going to get some information from you later, but if somebody wanted to, if they had more questions about, since spinal cord is so different, and there's only apparently two places you can go, if you have a contact information that we can add into our show notes, we'd like to include that just okay. in case someone wants to shoot you an email. Perfect. Yeah. So, and Because I, I know you're at Baylor Scott & White downtown. Mm-hmm. Yes. But again, we would like to thank you for coming and joining us for this episode, Karen. Um, and we would like to thank all of our listeners to logging on and listening to Karen and um, Carrie and I for this podcast. And don't forget, if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at bindwaves at thebind.org. And like I said earlier, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and also hit that notify button if you're on YouTube uh, while listening to Bind Waves. You can find us on all your favorite platforms. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Until next time. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Bind Waves and continue to support Bind and our nonprofit mission. We support brain injury survivors as they reconnect into the life, the community, and their workplace. And we couldn't do that without great listeners like you. We appreciate each and every one of you. Continue watching. Until next time. Until next time.